this one. Praise God. I've been going on for years, but I thought the Lord's going to send me across the oceans and begin a whole new campaign of things. I thought, sure, he'd send me to Africa. Uh, but instead, he told me to go to Europe, Belgium and France and Switzerland and Spain and Czech Republic we're in and Greece will be there, praise God, next month, various places. And throughout, you know, throughout all of Europe, guess what I run into all over Europe? Millions of Africans. I mean, the Lord knows what he's doing. I mean, I'm ministering to people of all stripes. Praise God. Thank you for the prayers. I know this church has been praying for us. I already know that, and I want to say thank you. Doors have opened because of it. And we just want to say from our heart, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe I have what the Lord wants me to share with you. Touch chapter 10, please. Praise God. Amen. I know that, that praise God, when, when Pastor Walker came here, he began to teach you on the subject of faith. And when I first started studying this subject, it was 40 years ago. And it was, uh, it was something that people all over were getting into the entire subject of faith. But what's happened over, over these years is that you have Hebrews chapter 2's happen. Hebrews chapter 2 tells you about how you can let things slip. The Greek word says there, leak out. And so a lot of times you have now people who may have an intellectual knowledge of maybe the subject, but have forgotten a lot about it and not really operating in it anymore. Then you have a whole new generation of people who don't know very much about it at all. Praise the Lord. And so the Lord has kind of given instructions to go back and rebuild foundations on these things because this year is a great year. It's a breakout year. Praise God. But the greatness of it is according to your faith. So we want to make sure that you got it right. Amen? Praise God. Now, how important is the subject of faith? We're extremely important. It said the just, those who have been declared righteous, shall live by faith. Anybody here? been declared that. It says without faith it's not possible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Praise God. Hallelujah. And it says that the, how we access the grace of God. Ephesians 2.8 says we are saved by grace. So grace is the saving agent. Praise God. And I'm not planning to teach on the subject of grace tonight, but I might get into a little bit. But grace is the power agent that recreated you. But how the grace of God got ignited and manifested, the word said in Ephesians 2, 8, was through faith. So faith is the door that activates the manifestation of the grace of God. So it makes this subject exceedingly important. Praise God. Since you must live by it, since you access grace by it, and the only way you can please God is with it. I mean, if there's anything you want to know, it is this subject. Praise God. Now, if you're going to talk about the subject, there's always a connection with faith. Always. All the time. Every way. That's the word of God. If you want to talk about the word, you're talking about faith. If you're talking about faith, you can only be talking about the word. So when you get to Romans chapter 10, 
praise the Lord. We're going to read verse 17 in a minute. But verse 14 kind of lays it out there for us. Verse 14 tells you, it says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Praise God. Then it gets down to verse 17. It says, so then, and we know we don't start a sentence with so then. So you go back, of course, and read all of that. The name of this church is derived from Romans 10.8. The Lord said to me in 1978, before we opened up in January 1979, as, as the Lord had instructed me to open a church in Detroit, Michigan. And the Lord gave me specific orders of what to call the church. I didn't look for a nice name or something that, you know, sounded good or sounded religious or sounded churchy. The Lord said to me, open the Bible and turn to Romans chapter 10. I did. He said, read down to verse 8. I did. He said, read it aloud. The, Paul wrote, the word of faith which we preach. So what Paul preached was the word of faith. Okay, amen. Hallelujah. He said, call the church that. And, of course, the name of the church here is what? Praise. Amen. Praise God. So it said, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Greek word for faith is the word pistis. Pistis means what? Well, it means confidence. It means trust. It means persuasion. It means reliance. It means assurance, praise God, hallelujah. So then persuasion comes, confidence comes, trust comes by hearing and hearing. It comes by hearing and hearing. It doesn't even say it comes by hearing. It says it comes by hearing and hearing, implying what? There is a continuity here, a continuance. This you must the next line, by the word of God, you must hear it constantly, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. Faith comes by hearing thee, that word, word, as you know, is rhema, which means the spoken word. Praise God. Now, I need three hallelujahs before I go further. Hallelujah. Praise God. By the word of God. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So, praise the Lord, living by faith, we know, we've already quoted the word told us to just live by faith, which means to just live by the word. You feed the physical body with physical food. You feed the emotional and mental man with, with material and information. But you feed the human spirit with the word of God. Hallelujah. So he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus said in St. John chapter 12, he said that the Father's commandment is life. So he called the word of God the life of God. The Greek word for life is zoe. Zoe in the Greek is life, as God has it. What kind of life does God have? Is God sick? No. God depressed? No. <laughs> God losing? Certainly not. <laughs> Amen. God poor? No. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it comes by the word of God. There's the very life of God. Second Corinthians, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he said, In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them 
that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. So he called the word of God the light of God. Now, if you were to turn off all the lights in this room right now, it could get very dark. So much so that you may not be able to see where you're going and you can stumble over chairs and hurt yourself. He says the word of God is the very light in a very dark world. The word of God provides the light. Amen. Well, now, throughout human history, you've had the word taken away from people. You know, what's called the Dark Ages from the 6th century to the 15th century, the Dark Ages, almost 1,000 years, 900 years, the word of God was locked up in monasteries, kept away from the common people. If you read the disastrous things that happened in the planet during that time when there was no light. Indeed, Islam began during the dark ages. Are, are you listening to me? In the seventh century, the light of the word of God is what Satan has done. Everything he could to extinguish and keep it tramped down. Because if the light of the word is shining anywhere, what does it do? It exposes the darkness, runs it out, praise God, and the very life and light of God can be shined into that situation or circumstance or that nation. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, praise God. Mark 9, 23 says, All things are possible to him that believeth. Now, there are multiple ways in which faith and the word get to you. We've already talked about one of them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Verse 14, how shall they hear except with a preacher? So this is the reason why you got to come to church every time you get the opportunity. Yeah. Praise God. That's why it says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And it says much more or assemble together the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. Why? You're going to need more faith the closer we get to the return of Jesus. As crazy as things are getting, you'll need word. Amen. Praise God. So first, faith comes by hearing, hearing, preaching, and teaching of the word. Faith's going to come before I leave here tonight. Amen. Faith's going to come in you, hallelujah, and you will be at a higher level when I leave Amen. and when you leave tonight. Amen. Well, faith comes by hearing by the word of God, but that's not the only way faith comes. You know, faith also comes by singing. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I just love that special song they did. I just love that, especially with the style. Let me tell you what I want, Pastor. Yeah. I want the, that whole group and the band to come to the June convention. We're going to pay for it. And, and I want them to come and sing that in that style at the June meeting. We're going to all get Caribbean with y'all <laughs> in June. All right, they, they, they can come? All right, the bishop says so anyway. So. Amen. Mean I take care of that tomorrow. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 14, praise God. Know what Paul says. In verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding or mind is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. 
I will pray with the understanding or mine also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Praise God. You see, singing with the word embedded in it, Amen. faith comes. Amen. The most effective singing of all is when you sing scripture. Amen. Faith comes when you hear it. Now, it's not just the music. I mean, music can make anything move. I used to have a dog named Jaja. And if you played music, Jaja would leap out in the middle of the floor and the dog would dance. I mean, music has a quality that, that will make you move. Right? Praise God. Music can change your mood. Music can brighten you. And it can also depress you. Right? Praise the Lord. When I came up in Detroit, Motown, all that. And, of course, you also had the blues singers. When you finished singing the blues, you were blue. <laughs> you finished singing the blues, right? Amen. But, see, music doesn't minister to the spirit. It only ministers to the soul. The soul is the very mind and will and seat of the emotions. So music doesn't touch you. Are you listening to me? Only when the word is put in it. Does it do something to you? Praise God. But the word embedded in music, faith comes from. So faith comes by preaching and teaching. Faith comes by hearing the word sung. Here's another way in which faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the word prayed. Now God's, God's definition of prayer is different than ours. When we pray, we have a tendency to want to repeat to God the problem. Lord, this is what's happening here, and I need you to do whatever it is we want to say. But I have some news for you. First of all, God is omniscient. He didn't find out what's going on just when you started talking. I mean, he knew about it before it came down. He knows about it now. Are you listening to me? He never told you to pray the problem. What he told you to do, praise the Lord, and he even told them in the Old Testament. He told them that the word of God in Isaiah 55 is like the rain that falls from heaven. Waters the earth, makes it bring forth from bud and brings fruit. Amen. He told them also in Isaiah, he said, now let us reason together. He said, put me in remembrance. Declare thou that you may be justified. What did he tell them to do? He said, remind me of what I said. Pray the problem. Don't pray the problem. Pray my word. Pray the answer. Amen. Well, that's what, that's what happened in Acts chapter 4. Remember in chapter 3, the man got healed at the beautiful gate. The Sanhedrin council got all upset and called, and called the disciples in on the carpet and threatened them and said, we will kill you. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, it reads, and being let go, they went to their own company. And they lifted up their voice with one accord, and they prayed and said... Now, it's said in that scripture there that there were a multitude of people. We already know there was 3,000 people saved in chapter 2. Amen? And usually the scripture, when it talks about multitudes, usually referring to at least 4,000 or more. Amen? So there's at least 4,000 people. How do you get 4,000 people to all pray the same thing in one accord? But it said, it said that's what they did in Acts chapter 4. How did it happen? Somebody opened up Psalm 2. When you read in chapter 4, 
they began to quote Psalm 2. Amen. And they did it in one accord. What are they praying? The word. What's coming when they're praying the word? Faith. Amen. When you pray the problem, faith comes all right, but the wrong kind. When you pray the problem, faith for defeat comes. When you pray the word, faith for victory comes. Oh, hallelujah. You were never intended to pray anything but the word, which is why when I tell people to pray and teach people to pray, the first thing we do is find the scripture that promises you what it is you're about to pray about. Go to the scripture, find it. And then we pray that out loud. Father, your word said this about it. Now you got a basis to operate from. Amen. We have something to stand on, the inviolable word of God. So faith, faith will come by praying. Amen. Here's another way faith will come. Faith will come by meditating the word. Remember Joshua chapter 1. Now Joshua's in a real tough situation. Joshua has to succeed Moses. Moses has just died. How would you like to be the person that had to come behind Moses? <laughs> I mean, the Red Sea opened. Millions of people get fed supernaturally, praise God, with manna from heaven. Water comes from out of a rock. Their clothes never wear out supernaturally. Man, and then Moses dies, and you're the new pastor. <laughs> and the people looking at you like, yeah, like what you going to do? You know what I'm saying? So what did God say to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8? What did God say to him? First thing he said was, be strong and of good courage. Why? Because he was shaking like a leaf. Two verses later, he said, be strong. I said, be strong and of good courage. Then he says again, be strong. I said, be strong. Because what that boy's name? <laughs> How in the world am I supposed to do this? And then the Lord told him in verse 8, this book of the law, which is the word of God, shall not depart out of your out of your mouth. So he said the word's not supposed to leave your mouth. Another way to say it is, he just said that you're supposed to be saying the word all the time. That means you walking saying the word. Driving, saying the word. Amen. Shopping, saying the word. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. He said, it shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Now, of course, the Eastern mythical religions stole meditation from us. See, when the Bible talks about meditate, it doesn't mean you cross your legs and go, you know, shum the little. Okay. The word meditate means to mutter, to talk, to say. He said, say the word day and night that, it reads, thou mayest observe to do what's written in it. So not only does faith come when you meditate the word, so does revelation. What kind of revelation? What steps to take? Lord, I, I need to know what to do. Well, he just told you how to find out. The thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. The next, next line of that verse says, For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Well, so faith comes by preaching and teaching. We saw it came by praying. Praise God. We saw it come by singing. Here's another way that and now, now we see faith comes by meditation of the word. One other way faith comes. Faith comes by reading the word. 
Now, once again, you know, when the Bible got shut up in monasteries for, you know, for almost a thousand years, a lot of things that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ had in the beginning of the church were lost. And what happened after that was a, a whole different set of religious traditions grew up. And one of them was reading the word silently. The Bible was never intended to be read silently. It was always intended to be read aloud. Amen. Because the whole system with God operates with words and faith. Even the planet was created that way. Hallelujah. And God said, Genesis chapter 1, God said again, and God said again. And he believed what he said would happen. If he said it, it would be so. Everything works that way. Everything in your life has worked that way. To this day, it's worked that way. If you're married, you got that way with words. Started with three of them. You might have wished you never said them, but it started with words. <laughs> I love you. Then you follow that up with two more. I do. Yeah, yeah, I bless the Lord. Amen. And I'm going to leave that alone. Praise God. Oh, it works that way. So, amen. I read the word out loud to myself every day. Praise God. I said, praise God. Praise read the word, faith comes by, first faith comes then by reading scripturally. So we see these five ways in which faith can come to you. And notice, it must be done on a daily basis. Not enough to do it just on Sunday. Amen. Or just midweek service. Praise God. This is a lifestyle. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. God's not Santa Claus. Just to come and bring you a present when you need it. He's not a parachute when you bail out a plane because you got in trouble because the engine quit. This is a lifestyle. This is what you do every day. Lots of Christians don't live Christian lifestyles. They treat God as though he's God in the box, you know, jack in the box. They want to pull up at the window and order something. Maybe I get an amen on this. That wasn't too good. Maybe I get a better amen on this one. Oh, I'm going to call you the east side. I like the east side. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Now, hallelujah. Give me three more hallelujahs, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, glory. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read here verse 23. Paul says, let us hold fast the profession of faith. In the actual literal Greek, that hold fast means to wrap your around, arms around something, don't let it go. See? So he said to hold fast the profession. Now the word New Testament is translated from the Greek. The Greek word there for profession is homologia. And homologia means, yes, confession. It means agreement. It means acknowledgement. Homologio or homologia is the same word that you find in 1 John chapter 1. Most of you can quote 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. It says, if we, what? If we what? Confess, homologio. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what's he talking about there? 
He's talking about the agreement. See, in order for you to receive what God wants you to have, you have to have homologia. Even 1 John 1, 9, what God wants you to have is to receive forgiveness and to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. But it can only happen when you and God agree on your sin. Meaning what? If God's word said it's sin, you got to agree it is. When you disagree with God, then you can't have the forgiveness and the cleansing. See, that's that word. So he said that we will homologia our sins, that we agree with God. God said it's sin, so I said it's sin. But the society said it's all right. That's what they said, but I'm in agreement with God. Amen. Only when you get in agreement with God, and you need to write this down, only when you and God agree can you have a manifestation of God. Amen. 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 Praise God. So he says, we go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast in the homologia. Let us hold fast the profession of faith. Now, some of you got them Bible programs, but I see a lot of people actually have literal, literal paper Bibles on your lap. Thank God. <laughs> if you do, because a lot of times the Bible programs miss important stuff. In this, this book, you will see that word... Our is italicized. Means it's not in the text. It was added by the translators. Sometimes they, they brought clarity to a verse. Sometimes they muddled it instead of bringing clarity. So I typically read the word without italicis. What he said was here. He said, let us hold fast a profession of faith. Not our faith. And the word for faith, once again, is pistis. Let us hold fast the acknowledgement, the agreement of our trust, confidence, belief, assurance, praise God, without wavering. Now, I'll come back, I think, to the without wavering in a minute. But take a look at verse 35. He says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Now, this word here, confidence, is parousia in the Greek. And it means your frankness. He said, don't throw away your boldness. Don't throw away your bluntness. Why not? It has great, that word great, migos. Huge. Massive. It has great recompense or reward. And the word recompense is an extremely impressive word for us because recompense means compensation for a loss or a harm. He said, don't throw away your frankness of your words. Don't throw away your trust and confidence because it can pay you for what's happened to you. What you lost, what was done for you, you can get it back. You can be compensated for the destruction that the enemy brought against you. So he said, just don't throw away your confidence. It has great compensation of reward. Compensation. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, what gave me confidence? Speaking the word. Praying the word. Singing the word. Meditating the word. Reading the word. How often? See? So he didn't say that the enemy wouldn't steal from you. Jesus said that in John 10, 10. He said there's a thief out here. And he said he comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But if he did, if you don't toss your faith away, the Lord said you'll get it back and more. Oh, praise God. That's like the woman with the issue, that woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, woman with the issue of blood, remember, for 12 years. I was ministering in Pakistan, by the way, in Lahore, Pakistan. I ministered in a field to about 30,000 Muslims. That was something. I've done two meetings in Pakistan, one in Lahore and one in, one in Islamabad. Well, the one in, the one in Lahore, I had done some ministry that morning teaching church people about the subject of faith, by the way. And that night, I was speaking on the woman with the issue of blood. Like I said, it's about in this big open field, about 30,000 Muslims. The estimate's about 30,000. And they brought in a woman on a cotton stretcher who was like the woman in Mark chapter 5. She had a constant bleeding condition. And you know what the word said? The word said in Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood not only was sick, it said she went to the doctors. The doctors couldn't cure her, and they drained all her finances. So she started out with one problem. Now she's got two problems. And praise the Lord, those two problems could have created other problems. Right? Who knows how much problems she had. They brought in a woman like that, very thing, praise God. And then the minister, after they heard the word on the subject, God began moving, and God healed that woman on the spot. But that wasn't all that happened. He healed blind eyes. They came up, they testified. We gave them the mic and let them talk. He healed blind eyes. He healed deaf mutes. He healed cripples. He grew out legs. He did all kinds of things. To this day, I've never seen a meeting like that one. To this day, one like that one. I mean, it was such a move of God when we gave the altar call. 90% of that crowd received Jesus as Lord. In a Muslim country where they could lose their life for doing it. Certainly lose their job and family. Praise God. Hallelujah. But when they heard the word faith comes, hallelujah. And so that woman there, when finally she came up to Jesus and touched the very hem of his garment. By the way, why did the woman with the issue of blood touch his garment? How come she didn't come and touch, touch you know, just touch his shoulder, touch his head, touch his face, touch something else? Why was it she went and tried to find the border of his garment? Because in her synagogue, she had heard in Malachi chapter 4, when the Messiah comes, there will be healing in his wings. We know that that word wings there meant borders. Faith came when she heard the word. She heard that in that synagogue every Saturday. And one day when she heard, when said what was Mark there, Mark 5, 25, when she heard of Jesus, came behind the press and touched the hem of his garment for she said. This is what she constantly had been saying. The actual Greek says she repeatedly said, as soon as I touch that border, I'll be whole. She didn't say I'll be healed. Healing was only one of her problems. She said, as soon as I touch that garment, I'll be whole. 
And it said, when she touched the hem of his garment, power came out of Jesus. Stopped the whole crowd. Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And they said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. You know, I, I was ministering in Eastern Europe one time. And I was, I was teaching on the subject of faith. Praise God. About in in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. And the old Communist Party headquarters. I don't know if you've ever seen the old Soviet Union. They used to have these big old tunnels with multiple layers. And I'm teaching that morning to about 2,000 Bulgarians. In fact, that man you heard on there was in that crowd that day. He's now a pastor. The one from Sofia, Bulgaria. The, the, the Bulgarian. He was in the crowd that very day. Amen. And I'm teaching that day. And the people got so worked up on the subject of faith, they rushed the stage. Now, I don't speak Bulgarian. I got an interpreter, right? So I'm saying what I'm saying. The interpreter said what he's saying, and I'm saying what I'm saying. And when that crowd got up, they all started running to the, I didn't know what he said. I was like, what did you do? And I don't know. These people going to lynch me, hang me, beat me. I don't know what they're going to do to me. I mean, they come rushing to the stage. Well, they come, they start thrusting their babies up there. And stuff. I mean, they heard the word faith came to them, so. They believe what they heard, so they said, just touch me and my child will be healed. Just touch me and I'll be made whole. Today we have a great church there in Sophia. Came out of that meeting. Glory to God. Hey, come. Amen. So he said, cast not away therefore your confidence. It has great restoration of what you lost. Great compensation. Hmm? Right. Now give me three praise the Lord, please. You're getting more quieter. You can do better than that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. Now turn to Mark, the 11th chapter, please. This is the classic faith scripture. Praise God. You all, at one time or other, I know he's taught you Mark 11. Because I taught him Mark 11, so I know he taught you Mark 11. <laughs> Amen. But I'm going to share some things with you about Mark 11 that might be a little different. Amen. I'm always learning. I've been a student of the Bible for decades, and I'm still learning. The Bible's pregnant. It always gives birth to new revelation. Praise God. Now, before I read Mark 11, in this story, I want you to always remember this about the ministry of Jesus. Everything regarding the ministry of Jesus has a context. You might read a particular incident with Jesus, particular story about Jesus, but you always must remember that the ministry of Jesus had an overarching context to every story. And if you don't include the context to the story, you get the wrong interpretation of the scripture. Right? So there's a context to, to Jesus' ministry. In fact, let me, I might as well right now just go show with you some of the scriptures what the context is. Turn to St. John for a minute. I'll come back to Mark. Turn to St. John chapter 8 for a minute. Praise God. We'll look at the context about the ministry of Jesus. John 8, 
I'll start with verse 26. You have a red letter edition. Jesus is speaking. Jesus said, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I. Jesus is going to say what he does. I speak to the world those things which I have what? So you mean Jesus is listening to a hymn? Yeah. Anybody guess who the hymn is? The Father, right? I know what he says. I speak what I heard of him. What comes out of my mouth is my repeating what he said to me. So Jesus did not decide for himself what he was going to say. Well, keep reading. Read a couple more verses. Read down to verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, when you lift up the Son of Man, you shall know I am, and I do. What does nothing mean? Nothing means nothing. You can do better than that. I mean, my Lord. Nothing means what? No thing. I don't do anything, right? I don't do anything. Now, now, is that true? If he doesn't do anything of himself, if that's true, that means then that every word Jesus said and every action he did or didn't do was a, only with a direct order from Jehovah. Turn to St. John 14. We'll look at another one. You'll find many of them. I'll just give you one more just to save time because I want you to come back tomorrow night so I won't keep you up too late tonight. <coughs> I know some of you got to work tomorrow and all that, so I'll be kind to you tonight. No promises tomorrow, though. St. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking, red letter edition. Praise God. Know what he said here. Verse 10, believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. Well, he said that a few, few chapters earlier. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So what he said was, he said, I don't, I don't speak my own words. I don't decide for myself what I do. In fact, you keep reading in John, just, just keep on reading there. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't work with Jesus say if you've seen, you've seen the Father because he only repeated what the Father said to say. He didn't do anything except the Father said, said to do. Man, you are not like that. Sometimes us and the Father are one. And sometimes us and the Father are different. Come on, West Side. I'm trying to give y'all a chance. Can I get an amen from the East Side? But not with Jesus. The Bible said Jesus never sinned. He never missed it once. He said, if you saw me, you saw the Father. Why? Because every step he took was only at the Father's direction. The only words that ever came out of his mouth were only the ones the Father spoke. That's not how we operate. How we operate is that we even get cool points for speaking quickly. Right? Remember when you were a kid growing up? Now, me and Pastor Deborah got three, four. 
We got four now. We got four grandchildren. We had we we had a new one three months ago. So I had all granddaughters. Now we got a boy. I love them girls to life, but the boy, I finally got the boy. I've been praying for that boy, and he's a big one. He's three months old wearing 12-month-old clothes. He is a big dude, too. He's big, and he's tough already. He's strong. He is strong, and all he does is eat. <laughs> His mama said that boy never stopped eating. That boy, he's something else. And Pastor Deborah loves that boy to life. I mean, she won't let that boy sit down. <laughs> I mean, anyway, what was I talking about? What was I talking about? See, I'm seeing paying attention. See, see. Huh? All right, cool points. That's my girl right there. Yeah. I remember we were kids, right? We got cool points. I mean, some, we got up and somebody said, you know, you such and such and such, and somebody came back and back in my day, they used to call it capping on somebody. Then later on, they called it beasting on somebody. I don't know what they call it now. Okay, man. But somebody said something, somebody gave a quick retort back. Ooh, everybody said. Ooh, right? And of course, I got three granddaughters, one that'll be 13 in a few days, you know. And let me tell you, that girl, can cut you with her tongue before you finish the sentence. She has cut you, filleted you, and left you for dead. She's so fast. I mean, like, wham. I'd say, look, look now. <laughs> right? You smart thing, you. I said, well, see, people used to cry us on the back because we had a quick retort which was the complete opposite of what the scripture said. The scripture told us to do what? Slow to speak. So look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, it's good to keep your mouth shut. Why would he tell you to be slow to speak? Because faith, negative or positive, will come out from what comes from your mouth. And when you are in agreement with God and you speak, now you release God to do in your situation. And so sometimes, amen, what you have to do, rather than say something when something happens, and get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to announce to this situation? What words do you want me to say about this? And you may have to seek the Lord for days about it. You might even have to seek the Lord for weeks about it. Now, one thing we know about Jesus, praise God, we know that Jesus practiced the word. How many would agree with that? Y'all agree with that on the west side? 
Yeah, all right. Praise God. How about the western suburbs over here? Yeah, all right. Praise God. Amen. We know Jesus practiced the word. You believe that, right? Do you believe that Jesus practiced Proverbs 3, 5? Anybody know what Proverbs 3, 5 says? Without, without opening your Bible. Anybody know? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and what? Don't lean to your own what? Do what? Acknowledge him in all your ways that he would do what? Jesus practiced Proverbs 3. So he didn't even trust in himself. He trusted in the Father. Anytime you see the words the Lord in the Old Testament, it means Jehovah, the Father. Well, we would actually Yehovah with a Y, there's no J. It's actually Yehovah. Praise God. And so he got before Yehovah to find out where he was supposed to go, what he was supposed to do, what he was supposed to announce. And that's the reason why he had the results he had. Now, praise God. Go back there to Mark 11. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. The west side is waking up. Yeah, the west side is waking up. Yeah, bless God. Amen. How about the east side suburbs over here? Yeah, glory to God. Now, everybody knows Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say the mountain be thy move, be thou cast, see, shall not down his heart, etc., etc. But Mark eleven twenty three don't start with Mark eleven twenty three. There is a context to Mark eleven. The context you got to go all the way back to verse eleven. Now remember, even before verse 11, he comes riding in on the donkey and all that. Hosanna, cut the trees down, all that. So we get down to verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, after he had just said Hosanna in the highest to him. He entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he looked round about upon all things, what does all mean? Everything. How much is left after all? So he saw everything. Thing there was to see happening in that temple. He looked round about upon all things, and the evening time was come, he went on unto Bethania with the twelve. Did I just read that Jesus went into Jerusalem, went into the massive temple, was there all day long until nighttime, and did nothing? He didn't do anything. You mean tell me there wasn't one person that needed healing in the temple. You know what time of year this was? Okay, There are hundreds of thousands of people crowded in Jerusalem at this time. They're in the temple courtyard. They're in the temple area. You tell me there wasn't one person to be healed? One person that needed his help? One person for him to minister to? But we read he does nothing. He doesn't do anything. It's even more puzzling, perhaps, if you think about when he went to the pool of Salon. 
them five porches full of sick people. It said those five porches of people were hot and withered, waiting for the troubling of the water. So you got five porches. I've been there. I've taken, I've taken people on trips there. So you have five porches full of sick people, and Jesus walked past all of those sick people, walked past all of them, and just walked up to one man and ministered to the one man, and only the one man got healed. And he left everybody sick. That don't seem right to you, does it? Well, you know, he's anointed. He, his problem's not an anointing problem. Action 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil who God's with him. The problem was not lack of anointing. Why? And why is it that Jesus would then walk here in the temple? The scripture told us he's there all day. He sees all this happening there. And we also know, as we read a few verses later, that what he saw in the temple, he detested. He didn't like what he saw, but he didn't say nothing. He didn't do nothing. But let's read. On the morrow, here's the next morning, they would come from Bethany, and he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came of happily, he might find anything thereon. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, and for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered and said unto it. He answered. You mean Jesus answered the tree? I'm going to leave that alone tonight, but praise God. But don't be so surprised. I mean, you talk to stuff, too. Sure you do. Some of y'all been talking to refrigerators and traffic lights. When you turn red, <laughs> turn green, rather, I mean. I'm going to pass that because I ain't got the time tonight. But Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. But didn't we say that Jesus didn't speak, certainly didn't give any commands or anything unless he heard from the Father to do it? Amen. You mean the Father ordered him to curse this tree? Yeah. And any time the Father orders something, that's because there is a reason for it. Amen. Now, you may not understand the reason why. That's where trust comes in. Amen. See, now, trust is vitally important. See, faith, trust, praise God, means you're willing to go out on a limb. Pastor, come here. I'm going to trust Pastor Walker totally and completely with my physical well-being right now. I'm going to let myself fall. And I'm going to trust that he catches me and doesn't let his pastor hit the floor. I totally let go. And if he hadn't caught me, if he hadn't missed, I would have hit the floor. Now, I ain't going to tell you what would have happened if I had, but uh, he let the pastor hit the floor. Now, that would be, no. Let the bishop at the floor, that would have been not good, okay? But, <laughs> Amen. but see, I totally let go. Faith doesn't have a no, no, right? Faith requires 
total trust even when you can't see. I couldn't see that he was behind me. I didn't know exactly where he was. I just had to trust that when I let go, the bishop's head wasn't going to hit the floor. Y'all still with me? I'll be done in about 10 minutes. Y'all give me 10 minutes? How about the west side? Y'all give me 10 minutes? Come on, west side. Come on, west side. Come on, west side. All right. And they come to Jerusalem. So they go and went into the temple again. And he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. Throws over the tables of the money changers, the seats of them selling doves. Wouldn't allow anybody to even carry anything through the temple. Now you think about this. Here's some brothers here making money. I mean, let, let, let's not read this like you read the Bible. Let's read it like you read the newspaper. Right? Here, and the temple's not small. Some of y'all have been to Jerusalem with me, right? The temple's not a small place, right? Here's some brothers all over the temple. They selling doves. They making money, right? Somebody going to walk in the temple. They're going to start throwing their tables over, right? So much so, he's not even going to let people carry stuff from one end to the other. I mean, he's controlling the whole area. He makes a whip, and one of the other writers tells us, start beating folk with it. Now, it's like you going to downtown here. And you know down there people hawking their wares and all that? And you walk into that square down there, downtown, and you start turning them tables over. What do you think is going to happen? What? Right? Yeah, it's going to be, we're going to throw down what you just did, right? Nobody could touch it. And we know why he did it. Somebody tell me why. He got orders to do that. He didn't like what he saw before, but he didn't do anything about it. And that's part of our problem. We think just because God has shown us something or we have seen something, we got to do it right now. That will get you in trouble. That will get you beat up. Come on, somebody. Then you be like, oh, God, why did you let this happen to me? I only did what you showed me. Listen to this. Everything the Lord shows you is not for you to act on. Sometimes what he shows you is so that you can pray it out. Things of the spirit must be birthed. You got to birth the baby. All the ladies know. Okay. A man doesn't come into you and then the next day you have a baby. Takes time. Seed, that seed has to develop. And then when it gets towards the end of things, that uterus begins to what? Right. Things start getting to pushing to push that baby out. It may take a while. Amen. But what we do, we get an idea from God, we think, on Tuesday. We run out on Wednesday trying to act. Huh? And we birth a premature child.
So everything God showed you is not even for you to tell everybody. The Lord will show you stuff. You start telling people what the Lord showed you about you, about your ministry. And the first thing they do is pour cold water on it and tell you you can't do it. Right? That's what they told me. They told me, they said, boy, you can't do that. They said, boy, you are stupid. They called me stupid. They said I was crazy to my face. They laughed in my face. They ain't laughing no more. But, but that's what they did. You see? I mean, and see, people get jealous. They get jealous, they get envious, man, and they, they will attack you. If you don't know that, you don't know nothing. See, that's just why keep your mouth shut. Spend time before God in prayer because you want to wait for him to say, now. Amen. That was for somebody right there. And remember with God, and see, one year is with a thousand, one year is at a thousand years and a thousand years is one day with God. God's not moved by calendars and time clocks. We're the ones. Remember Jesus there in Jerusalem prophesied just before he was crucified a couple of days before he did. And he was there, there in Jerusalem and there at the, on the hill and he, he looked over Jerusalem, weeped about it, and he said, you're going to be compassed about with armies and you're going to be destroyed. Then a couple of days later, he hung on the cross and we know what else happened. What Jesus prophesied, and this was Jesus, what Jesus prophesied didn't come to pass till 37 years later. Now with us, if something hadn't come to pass in three months, we would have said false prophets. <laughs> Definitely if it ain't happened in three years, oh no, I must have missed God. You ain't necessarily missed God at all. God's not based on our calendar. Amen. And faith is never based on the calendar. You don't tell God, well, if you don't get it done by now, or oh, Lord, the bills got to be paid by this date. Or oh, Lord, it's got to happen by... You don't put God on the clock. Who do you think you are, you little dab of dirt? You're going to tell God what to do and when to do it. Amen. Come on now, somebody. Amen. He's the creator. He can turn stuff backwards. You can go past your little date, and he turned around, praise God, and fixes it like it happened on the date. Unless you throw away your confidence. And don't get compensated for your loss. Anybody get anything out of this? All right, now let's finish this. Praise God. Verse 17, he's still in that temple. And then he began to teach the word to them. Saying unto them, is it not written? So he's going to take a text. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's going to take a text from Isaiah. My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. Now that wasn't all he preached. That just tells you, tells you his text. Then he preaches the whole message. I know that because when you read a couple of verses down, you see how long he did it. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. They feared him because all the people were astonished at the doctrine. And when even time was come, he preached all day. Now we get upset. And we've been in church for two hours. My God, he preached for a whole hour. We've been in church for two hours. We came here at 11 o'clock. It's 1 o'clock. We're still in church. I don't want to find me another church. This church is too long-winded. 
Well, you, you just, you couldn't get along with Jesus too much. This wasn't the only time he did that. He preached all day. Amen. And then we really treat God bad because, I mean, look, we be in church for two and a half hours. See, right now it's, uh, what is it, nine o'clock? Nine o'clock here now, right? So I've been teaching about 45 minutes. So we've been in church two hours or two and a half minutes or two and a half hours, and we think we've done something. And we upset we've been in church too long. Then we go down to the movie theater and go watch Star Wars. Two hours and a half. Ain't nobody upset about that. And all you're getting is entertainment, and the word entertain means no thought. You don't get anything from it. You get no value from it. But the word of God you get in your church will change your life forever. You and your family's life forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. How long should we be in church? Till the spirit's finished. I ain't got no time clock on church at Word of Faith. You come down at Word of Faith, how long the service going to be? I don't know. Right? I don't know. We're going to be there, however, till, till I sense the Spirit done for that day. That's how long we're going to be there. Sometime they're there for three hours or more. Come on, somebody. Glory to God. And I'm not full getting them walking out either. I'll call you out. Amen. That happened to me once, too, by the way, you know. I, I got born again in the Pentecostal church. I came to church, and the reason why I came to this church, stand up, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Too slow, come on. So, you know, I was a Baptist boy. And the Baptist church I went to, just, just not all Baptists, just the one I went to. Okay? The Baptist church I went to, it was just a social club. All right? No word, no people got born, what was that? Which is a social club. You know, we came to church social club. Well, I told my mama, I said, I ain't never going to another one of them churches again. Long day I live. I'm in it, too. I was 14. I said, I ain't never going to another church again. Church, what's that? And of course, my mama's four foot 11. As long as you sleep in my bed, you eat my food, you're going to go where I tell you, boy. <laughs> so... So I didn't want, oh, you get your butt out on the street. Well, I wasn't ready to get on the street at 14 yet. So, so I went to church. I was there, but the church wasn't in me. I mean, I was sitting in the back row, you know, just trying to look under, look under the chairs of the girls' dresses. Come on. Teenage boys, come on. Come on. Dropping pennies on the floor. Yeah. My brother over here laughing. I know that was you. I ain't gonna tell you the whole testimony, but but eventually something happened in my life that made me decide, you know, maybe I need to find a real church. So I had a friend of mine named Twinkie Clark, and she said, you know, here's a church over here, and they got a choir, a young adult choir, you know, I'm a teenager. That young adult choir, and you go to the choir rehearsal and see if you like them. So I went to choir rehearsal. And uh, back in those days, black churches, the way they used to start the service was, the choir used to march down the center aisle. You know, you know, we are soldiers in the army. Y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? 
That's the way these churches used to be, right? So I'm sitting there, I'm in the audience, it's just me sitting in the audience, and they practice the marching. Well, that was a girl. Who was that there? And she walked by, we have to find <laughs> And I said, I'm coming to this church. <laughs> True story. I came back that Sunday morning. I didn't come to hear the word. I sat in the last row right by the door. I got there early to see where she sat down because when service was over, I was going to run my game. You know she didn't even, she didn't even come to church that Sunday. And I wound up getting saved that Sunday. So I always say, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> How'd I get on that? Verse 20. I'm trying to close this up. You ought to have fun in church. You know that? Amen. I don't want that bringing in the sheep stuff. People got enough trouble, man. You ought to be able to laugh in church, have some fun in church. Come on, somebody. Amen. Well, in the morning as they passed by, the fig tree, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So they saw the Another day goes by, and they're heading back again to the temple. And Peter, calling to remember, said unto him, Master, look, the fig tree which you curse is withered away. Now, why in the world do you got to call out to him? They're the same path they've been walking all along. Why you got to call out to him, Master, look, because Jesus isn't looking. Why? The Father told me to curse it. All I had to do was speak to it once. It's already dead. When you get a word from God, you don't have to repeat this again. That ain't what you do from here on in. When you have got a rhema word from God and then you announce to that problem what it is, what do you do then? You go to bed and get up and praise God every day. You don't have to say it no more. You go to bed and you get up and you praise God. Praise him what? That it died. He's got to tell them the fig trees. Praise God, weather the way. Most preachers I know, though, the Lord told them to curse the tree. Die in the name of Jesus. I said, die. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Almighty God, I said, die. In other words, I have to look and see if what I said actually happened. Whereas Jesus, once he spoke the word from the Father, not his own words, Amen. not his own commands. Amen. 
But once he got the command from the Father, when he spoke, he don't have to see if something happened. He doesn't need any physical evidence. He doesn't need something to verify to what he said is so. No word from God is void of power. It produces wherever it is put. Praise God. It's withered away, and then we're closing. Verse 22, 23. This very iconic test. Text from Jesus. He said, have pistis in God. So he tells you the source of all. This is God. Have, be persuaded. Have confidence. Have trust. Have reliance. Have reassurance in God. For whosoever shall say to this mountain. Well, he's not saying you can go outside to one of the mountains down there. Just on your own decide, well, I'm going to see how much faith by God and speak to the mountain and say it to move. Not with your own word. But if the Lord instructed that, you see, your word has nothing in it. There's no force in your word. But in his words, it's force that never stops. When he said light be light, is still expanding, astronomers have found. At 186,000 miles a second, it's still going. The universe is still going. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. No word from God is empty. It's full of power. So who shall, shall say, now we know the context. Who shall, shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt. Where? Now the word doubt means differ. It also means to waver, means to retreat, right? And when it talks about the heart, the scripture talks about the heart, it's not talking about that thing in your chest going boom, 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 boom. The heart of man is the spirit of man. First Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. The heart of man is the spirit of man. Believing with the heart means believing with your whole spirit, your whole being, because your whole being is full of the word. So he, so he won't differ in his heart. You see, the body, you don't see me. You only see the house in which I live in. Now, I know it's a handsome house, but it's still only just a house. Well, I should have at least got one amen. I don't see you and you don't see me. The soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Music, uh, music will move your emotions. Circumstances will move your emotions. What happens will depend on what your heart decides. And the way you not differ from what God said in your heart is that every day you feed your spirit spirit food. That produces trust, confidence, belief. You do it by speaking. You do it by listening. You do it by praying. 
You do it by singing. You do it by reading out loud. So, daily basis. Show not darkness heart, but shall believe that those things which it says shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he said. By the way, that's the, that's the therefore, the very next verse. By the way, not only does that work over here, let me tell you where else it works. Therefore, when you pray, Therefore means I don't now move to another area. Believe you receive when you pray. And you shall have. He said you got to believe you got it before you get it. But now we know what prayer is. Prayer is saying what God says. We pray the situation. No. We pray the word. You do what? You believe you receive it. Then he said in the next verse, he said, but by the way, when you do start praying the word, make sure you got no unforgiveness. Amen. Somebody you're still mad at. Amen. You're still mad at your mama-in-law. Still holding on to what somebody did, said to you 10 years ago, five years ago. You can't talk to somebody without it coming back up again. Woo, I'm preaching better than I'm saying. I'm not even getting amens from the east side now. I'm not. In other words, God will not tolerate at all. You're operating out of the love of God. Galatians 5, 6. Faith worketh. Energeal. That word energeal there means made active and efficient. Faith worketh by love. And that's the reason why you walk in love. It's not that you're giving somebody a pass. It's not that you that you being weak. Walking in love is helping you so that you can have what you say. Now, let's all stand. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the word tonight.